Hello, welcome to the new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today I have with me Charlene McGuinness from Crown Commercial Service. Hello, Charlene. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing today? I am not too bad. It's, it's lurky it's, time of year, but yeah. bear with me. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I said to you, how are you doing today? But, you know, secretly, I already knew because we'd had a little chat before. <laughs> we'd had a, in which, in which you'd, in which you'd uh, told me about your current, everyone's got some sort of something or other at the moment, just because we've gone out of our homes to actually be around other people for the first time in a long time. Um, and then we got into a little discussion about COVID. Because my children have had COVID, You're t- you've had a child with COVID, you've had a husband with COVID, and um, it's it's you know I'm almost I'm, I'm disappointed in myself really because I thought today we won't talk about COVID right because we've got we've got other stuff to talk about on this podcast but it, it always gets its head in there a little bit doesn't it? COVID. We can't escape it, can we? we unfortunately, can't it, can we? <laughs> and you've already told me that you're actually currently seated in your designated isolating room, and I think everyone has to have yeah. a designated isolating room at the moment, don't they? For that, member the family can be shoved into for ten days. It's got everything except the lock on the door. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very much. It's got all mod cons that we could we could possibly fit into one room just in case. I actually contemplated um, when my my youngest daughter had COVID. I contemplated delivering her meals in a kind of like sealable pack and sort of throwing it through her bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be that that careful. I hope you didn't have to resort to such a thing yourself. No, thankfully not. Although we did stage meal times so that we weren't eating anywhere near each other. <laughs> it's, meal, it's hard not times. to take offence when someone says you can't eat with us, though, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> brilliant i love that i love the ingenuity <laughs> it's a survival we've all had to be, yeah we've all had to be pretty ingenious this last few months haven't we yeah we absolutely do well listen i i could happily spend the whole podcast talking about the ingenuity of self-isolating or isolating within within your family households however charlene we are here to talk about something that's very important to crown commercial service which is social value before we dive head- headlong into that, um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself. So, uh, first of all, what what do you do at Crown Commercial Service? How long have you been there, etc.? Okay, yeah. So, I uh, my role at Crown Commercial Service is head of policy delivery for supply chains and service offerings. So, what that means is my current role is, involves looking at the the policy and the regulatory requirements that, as a public buying organisation, that we must make sure our contracts involve. Mm-hmm. Um, taking that, having a look at what our customers need in terms of the users of our agreements, they also have a regulatory framework to work in. Um, but also, you know, what is it they actually want to get out of their contracts? So obviously, they don't have to use current commercial service, but you know, yeah. if our contracts don't have certain things. They, they can't use our agreement. So my job's kind of bringing the customer need and the regulator need together and making sure that our agreements include everything that they do need to. Before I joined this role, I have been in Grand Commercial Service and its predecessors for about 12 and a half years before that. Wow. Um, so in commercial and category management roles. So yeah, I was I started off in the energy category. Um, mm-hmm. I, did so, I did a stint in the marketing communications and research category, the travel category, then back to, to the research category to head that up before joining the policy team. So um, 
lots of experience of, of being on the ground and sort of managing commercial agreements, which has helped, I think, in terms of taking that policy view and going, oh, how does this actually work in practice? How are we going to make sure that this works for CCS and for buyers of the, of the agreements at the end of the day? Excellent. Um, so to start off with, you know, let's get into the main reason that we're talking about today, which is social value. Um, yeah. So we might as well go straight into it. Uh, I, I guess the, the obvious of the obvious opening question is what are the practical differences that the new social value model means for for buyers? Yeah. So, I mean, social value is not a new thing. It seems like it's very much the buzzword in, in procurement and commercial circles at the moment, but it's, it's definitely not new. I mean, the Social Value Act came out in 2012. But I think initially local authorities were a lot more proactive in taking up social value as, as the mantle and sort of really implementing their agreements. And I think that's because it's it's easier to see the link between social value and localised delivery. So local authorities could see the benefit of it a lot easier than than national organisations or, or public sector, other public sector organisations. Obviously, that take up has been quite slow. So they looked at bringing into, into play sort of a, a strengthening of, of the provisions in that act in, in what is the procurement policy note PPN 0620. Um, and that very much there are three kind of main changes in that in terms of, first of all, it doesn't just apply to services like the Social Value Act did. This, it, this applies to all above threshold within the, the public procurement regulations, all above threshold contracts. So it's goods, works and services. There's there's absolutely no, I don't want to say escape, <laughs> but there, <laughs> there are no types of contracts that aren't covered by this now. Secondly, I think, you know, Social Value Act, it asked us to, it asked us as, as public buyers to, to have due regard or have consideration of social value when when setting up agreements and the the social value model that came out in the ppn is very much we must explicitly evaluate for social value so it's got a very much a practical implication there in terms of it's not just having a think when you're setting your strategy how can i build in social value i can't see how that works so we won't do anything this is very much okay we have to find a way that really meaningfully evaluates for social value when we are doing our procurements and then i think thirdly as well and, and this is one that's still in discussion as to the how the how the implications are going to really fall for for commercial agreement managers or what have you but um instead of going from from no centralized reporting there is that requirement for certainly for the gold and silver contracts to report what social value has been delivered and reporting of social value has got a whole whole cast of challenges and conversations to be had around what works what doesn't work I think but um, it's it's really good to see I mean with the PPN that's come out and then the national procurement policy statement talks about that as well so not just CG departments but wider public sector all public buying organizations have to have regard for three of those themes from within the PPN thinking about jobs and skills in the UK climate change and um, improving supplier diversity and it's every one of us as a public sector buyer has to have a regard for and have thought about how we can build those in those social value outcomes into our procurements and everything that we buy now so Lots of practical implications, and I think a lot of us are still on the learning curve on it, but yeah. it's really interesting time to be involved in, in procurement policy, that's for sure. So, certainly keeping you busy, keeping everyone busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how, as, as a company, how is CCS approaching social valuing frameworks and multi-supplier agreements? Mm, yeah, so I mean, for us, obviously, we're... We are a public sector organization. We do form uh, one of the executive agencies of cabinet office. So everything that we do has got that little extra bit of rigor and oversight. So we want to make sure that we're doing things very much as, as best as we can. We do a lot of 
big procurement vehicles like framework agreements, dynamic purchasing systems, things like G-Cloud. Um, there are a lot of agreements that we've got that are not as always as straightforward to apply um, policy to because there are nuances. So things like our framework agreements, the, the very first thing in the social value talks about this, the social value model talks about this, you know, it's not appropriate to set a target in a framework for social value. So we can't just say, if you're on our agreement, you will have three apprentices working on this agreement over the course of, of, of the, the life cycle of that contract. Because at framework level, there is no guarantee of spend and we don't want to put burdens on our suppliers before they even start. There is a cost yeah. for them to deliver social value and we don't want to set that up. So our approach generally when we're doing framework agreements is to sort of look at the types of suppliers. Are they set up? Do they have the processes in place to help customers and users of our agreements deliver social value at the end of that process when their call-offs are going in place. So it's very much the framework level is what type of organization are you? How are you set up? Are you able to identify social value priorities? And are, how are you going to help our agreement users implement those social value opportunities? And, and also how are you going to measure them at the end? So a lot of the nuts and bolts of, of how social value will be delivered is mm -hmm. devolved almost to customers at the call off stage. We've covered the do you have processes in place to do this when needed at framework level, then users of the agreement when they are doing their further competitions, they can specify out. So, OK, I as an organization, for example, might have a target to reduce the number of um, petrol or diesel cars in my fleet by 2025 or 2030. How will you, when I'm going out to a supplier for vehicle hire, how are you going to help me do that as a supplier? Tell me what it is you can do to help me make my specific target a reality. And where the call-offs are sort of, when the competition process is being done, that the supplier then knows what's being delivered, where it's being delivered, how it's being delivered, what sort of budget they have to play with, and then they can really make meaningful proposals for customers in terms of how that social value is going to be delivered for them, knowing what their priorities are. So it's very much, um, we'll cover the basics at framework level to make sure the right suppliers are on there, but the customers and the users of the agreements at that end, sort of end of the award process when they're doing their, their call-offs and competitions that they are able to really get down to the nuts and bolts. And the suppliers know what it is when they're, when they're making that bid in the competition, they have that detail to really think this is what I can offer. I might be an SME, there might be a, a large multinational organization bidding for the same contract, but what can I do knowing my skill set, my scope, my my capabilities? What can I offer the supplier that the customer that meets the same outcome at the end of the day? So we're trying to make sure that there's enough flexibility in our processes that the massive multitude of supplier of, of customers that we have and the massive multitude of suppliers that we have in our supply chain can all have something to to work towards in that sort of common goal at the end of the day. So, you know, terms like social value as they apply to the kind of work that you're doing with buyers, they can feel quite woolly at times, can't they? What are the challenges around measuring social value yeah. that, that, that you would say? Yeah, I mean, measurement is a really tricky one because there are a number of different schools of thought around measurement um, and the debates are still ongoing across the public sector about the best way to do this. It's important though, I mean, there's a reason it's a cliche that what gets measured gets done. And it's important, you know, as, as public sector organizations and, and spenders of taxpayers' money, it's really important that we can demonstrate what it is we're getting for that money. It's, mm -hmm. it's really important, that whole transparency piece. But how can we measure things in the right way is the really difficult piece. So there's the two main thoughts 
schools of thought on measurement. One is around quantitative methodology, so the numbers. It's the natural protocol for procurement people, something that's yeah. easily fact-based what is mm -hmm. being delivered. But within that, there, there are myriad ways of actually measuring social value. So there are things like financial proxies. There are lots of different methodologies for measuring and sort of capturing the numbers side of social value. So, you know, what kind of approach you take, you might get very different measurements between two public sector organizations for the same piece of work that a supplier does. They could have very different interpretations of what the value, the numerical value of that is. So that's an interesting one that we have to try and work our way around. And there are many, yeah. many, many organizations that are willing to help buyers suss out the number side of social value. I think it's also really important to think about what are the right metrics for your social value objectives. So what are you trying to achieve? And what's the best way to measure progress towards that outcome? So if you're looking at diversity and inclusion, for example, do you focus on the proportion of your prime contractors that are owned by black or ethnic minorities mm -hmm. or should you actually be looking at the the processes and the initiatives that is, that your prime contractors have in place to encourage routes into careers for people from minority ethnic backgrounds is yeah. is it the ownership that's the key thing or actually is it how are we getting people towards that on and onto that journey and that's just one example there are so many because yeah. social value yeah, yeah, yeah. covers such a broad range of things <laughs> it's you know it's really it's really difficult to say what the right measurement is and again, you're going to have that risk of comparing apples and oranges and what have you. But, you know, and I like to think about social value as well. When you think about the numbers, it, it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. So you could look at apprentice, apprenticeships and it's great. You could say, yes, we well through this contract. We had one apprentice that came through this. So what? What was the outcome for that apprentice when the apprenticeship was over? Was that it out in their ear and have to find their own way in the world? Or did that lead to like a, a, a career progression and a, and a whole career for that person? And, and that's not easy either because, you know, we talk about immediate sort of short term reporting on impacts, but that could take 10, 15 years to map out. The change for that individual person is huge. What is mm. what opportunities has that afforded in the wider community because of because of the opportunities afforded to that one person in an apprenticeship? So it's it's very much a lot of debate about what's the best way to do things. And I think sometimes if we get caught up in the numbers, we forget about the stories and the human elements, which are really important in terms of getting people to understand the benefit of social value. And the other thing that I think, I think sometimes as well, if we're focused on those numbers, we can we can miss out on some of the social value as well. So we might then naturally tend to focus on let's only look at initiatives and social value that are easy to measure because that'll tell a really great story. So we won't consider anything that actually it might not be easy to measure, but could have a better impact in the long term when you finally find a way to measure it. Um, yeah. So we don't want to we don't want to like get tunnel vision and only be thinking about social value. That's really easy to put a number against because overall so much that it's the social bit that is harder to quantify, but um, it's definitely worth pursuing. And then it's I almost think a bit more holistic, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, and a, it's, it's, it's an holistic uh, belief, isn't it? You know, social value. So it's, it's tricky putting. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But I mean, that's. I think that's why you know certainly, the social value model in the PPN talks about evaluating on qualitative methodologies. Mm -hmm. So it's not about what and how much you can give me, but how can you help us do this? How can you help us achieve this outcome? And I mean, it is very much thinking about how do we encourage innovation in our supply chain? So if we say, this is the problem, how can you help? That opens up a whole range of possibilities for us yeah. in terms of what our suppliers can do to help us meet social value outcomes. Whereas if we say, how many apprenticeships can you offer? That's very close and, and rules out so many options for us. And also I think it, it 
thinking back to when I mentioned about, you know, the the big suppliers versus the micro suppliers, who can offer what? A micro supplier might not be able to offer an apprenticeship because they've only got one person in their in their entire organization. But they could have an equally valid way of achieving a social value outcome to yeah. a large multinational organization that has some like a dedicated pot of, of money to be able to put on, on social value initiatives. So it levels that playing field as well to, to look at things from a quality rather than numbers perspective, I think. So how much of how, how much are you specifically dedicated to trying to get these measurements around social value in, in, in some sort of a attributable order at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> Is it like Yeah. I mean, I think for CCS, a lot of the approach that we've taken is let's make sure that we've got the right levers into our agreements for now so that the users, I said the users of our agreements, that they can be small charities, national organisations, they could be central government departments, they could be schools, local authorities. There's a huge range of, of users, but what we try to do is make sure that our agreements have got the right levers in place in the first place so that when they come to use it they can say to the supplier actually I already have a methodology in place for for measuring and reporting this so they can agree with the supplier how they're going to report and measure that at call off level we would love to be able to to capture and tell the story in terms of CCS and we know that there are some consultancies and buying organizations that have put numbers against the social value through their agreements yeah. and, and that's I'd love to be able to be in that position to say you know we had xyz and it's something we are looking at but I think the focus at the moment is making sure that we've got the levers in place for the customers to set the targets and the measurements that they need for mm. now. And we will work at, work with our suppliers and work with the customers to understand where there are common areas that we can sort of capture the information. But I mean, we have as well. So CCS is a member of the National Social Value Task Force, and we have looked at some of the uh, the work that they are doing at the moment on aligning the national themes, outputs and measures or TOMS framework to the, the themes that, and that comes in the PPN. Um, and the reason we've done that is to try and sort of make it easier for an organization in the public sector who doesn't have any way of measuring things, then there is a free to use tool available from the task force that they can start to consider how those might map across. Um, it's not the only way of doing it. And our agreements are very much you decide as the user of our agreement how you're going to measure your social value. Your supplier may have thoughts on that as well as to how best to do that. So. It's very much for us, we'd love to have the numbers against it, but to me, the stories are really important as well. So I, I try to focus on make sure we've got the mechanisms in place and we'll we'll work out how to, how to capture it and report it in due course, I think. Well, that's great. Um, Charlene, thanks for that. You've, you've gone into in, in some excellent detail there. Um, and I, I think I think the listeners have found that really um, interesting. It's, uh, as, as you said, as you said yourself there, it's such a... It's just a difficult concept to quantify, isn't it, social value? Um, and, yeah, and clearly, like a large part of um, what you're doing at the moment is, is, is attached to that. Is there anything you'd like to add before we whisk you off to the to the desert island to get your supplies together? I'd love to be going to a desert island right now. Um, <laughs> you'd be isolated, wouldn't you? It you'd, would you'd, be. It would work quite think, well. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, social value is becoming very much a buzzword and I think you know everybody's talking about it because it is a good thing to do and I genuinely believe people who get into public sector procurement don't do it when they don't care about getting that that benefit for taxpayers so even though something is difficult and we're all at different stages in this journey a lot of us are at the start of this journey but don't be afraid to talk to suppliers talk to 
other users of the goods and services that you're buying and understand, you know, what's happened in the market? Where can we work together to really deliver some social value and make a difference? So it's all about being open to having the conversations at this stage, I think, to learn as much as possible. So whenever you come to actually doing some buying, you're you're as clued up as possible about what the possible benefits are that you could get out of this at the end of the day. That's great. And I'm going to now take you off to Desert Island Supplies, uh, having gone through social value there. I was trying to think of a sort of clever way to connect social value to the last segment of our podcast, but, you know, I don't think I can find one and I don't want to overreach at this stage <laughs> when it's going so well. Uh, so we've the final segment, regular listeners will know, we imagine that you've been taken to a Desert Island, food and water's there, that's no problem. But there's three things you can take with you. You can take a luxury item. You can take a uh, an album, a music album of your choice, and you can take a film. But just you know, bear in mind that this album and this film are the only sources of entertainment, audiovisual entertainment you're going to have on there. So you got to think favorite films, things you can rewatch a lot. But first yeah. of all, what would be your luxury item, Charlene? My luxury item. Oh, that's a tough one. You think when I listen to Desert Island Discs, I would think about this a lot more. <laughs> Can I have a bubble bath? <laughs> yeah, find a way. I'll find a way of making it happen, warming that water. But to me, that <laughs> is, it's one of the things, particularly during lockdown, being able to just relax in the bath mm-hmm. at the end of a day is, it's just heaven. I don't drink, so there's there's very limited options for me on that. So, front, so you're, you're, you're sort of asking for hot water. Let's assume that, let's assume, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, I think clearly you're, you're someone who would come through in a difficult situation, Charlene. So let's assume you've acquired the ability to start a fire on this island. I'm going to give you that as a mm-hmm. gimme. Okay, so we're going to give you that. We're going to give you, we're going to download that ability to you. Um, so yeah. I guess that would mean that you would be able to get some hot water together. Um, the bath, I mean, I think I've seen. Give me the you know, bathtub. I think I've seen Bear Grylls <laughs> make a bath on a desert island in one of his TV episodes. I'm sure that's possible. So what you're actually effectively asking for, I think, is an inexhaustible supply of bubble bath. Yes. <laughs> so, I I think, I th- so I think that's fine. <laughs> There might even be one of those nice lagoon, hot spring lagoons on the island. It might be one of those really nice ones. So, you know, you just need to sort of you know, build a little dam, make a little pool and put your bubble bath in. So an exhaustible yeah. supply of bubble bath uh, you'd be taking with you. Do you have a, do you have a favourite bubble bath? Like, is I there, don't. Is there, do I, like it, I like something with a lavender in it because it right. just helps. We're all super busy these days and that just really helps Relaxing, unwind me at the end of yeah. that day. Anything with lavender in it knocks me out. It's always good. Excellent. If I've been out surviving in the in the in the wilds of the desert island for the day, I want to have a good night's sleep. There you go. There you go. Brilliant. That's your luxury item. What would be your album? I think Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Oh, it's a cracking nice. album. I think we. Do you know? I think we've also. I think this might be. I'm I'm going by memory here. We've done quite a few of these. That might be the first time we've had the same album come up twice. Definitely had someone else has picked that album. It's before. a good album. It's worthy of everybody picking yeah. it. Yeah, if it wasn't that long ago either. I'm <laughs> there there are no songs on there that don't. <laughs> so all killer, no, no filler, as they say. Yeah, th- there's there's not many songs on there that I wouldn't. There's not many I'd press skip on, I don't think, depending mm. on your mood. But oh yeah. no, I mean it's 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 a it's a brilliant album. And obviously it was way before I was born, obviously. But um 
<laughs> it stands the test of time that one yeah. i've got my i've got my four-year-old listening to that one on on repeat sometimes as well <laughs> brilliant so that's the, definitely definitely the boss has definitely appeared this is definitely his second mm-hmm. second appearance on that desert island for sure was mark roscoe i believe what's about what film are you going to take you've got your bubble bath you've got the boss mm. what's going to finish off keeping you happy on that desert mm. island do you know what i was really tempted to say the princess bride but mm-hmm. i think great movie it is but i think it's been pipped at the post by home alone 2 <laughs> ah, two home alone yes. 2 well yes, i tell you You've really thrown me there. <laughs> you've thrown me that you've gone for Home Alone 2 and not Home Alone 1. So I've got to ask you, oh. I take it you like the first Home Alone as well? I, oh, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. But I think... So, so what I is think it about the second one? I mean, it's, it's New York. I know York what it is. Scene, so it sparked. No. It sparked New York. It sparked is it the old? Just... Is it the old Irish woman in the park with the pigeons? I mean, she's amazing. Yeah, um, Brenda Fricker. I don't know. I think it just, it, it just really... It started this idea in my head that I just I, I haven't been to New York at Christmas yet, but I need yeah. to go because it just uh, it's, right. it's yeah. a magical film. But you've mm-hmm. got like all the, the pomp and grandeur of New York City mm-hmm. and all the absolutely crazy hijinks that go on in that film. Okay. So, I mean, and, I, and it's, a, it's an injection of Christmas, a bit yeah. of slapstick comedy and the music's beautiful as well. I mean, whenever they're at the Carnegie Hall with, with the Carol yeah. concert, that just it gets me every time. So it's, it's just a great little film. Are you a big Christmas person, Charlene? Yes, probably unhealthily so. <laughs> Does that mean you've already got decorations up now? I've got Halloween decorations up now, but that's because right, I was okay. entertaining a child in isolation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, but yeah, I mean, I I will. My my husband and I have had conversations about whether or not it's healthy, the amount of decorations I would put up if not allowed any sort of controls on it. So the morning of the 1st of November, are you like champing it a bit to get the decorations up? No, but I will be perusing help. shops to see what's available <laughs> to add to my collection. I've, I've started trying to build up a little collection of nice tree ornaments. So every year I'll try and buy mm-hmm. one really nice one that really is nice one, for yeah. keeps. Yeah. Um, because we started off whenever we first, you know, first moved out of university and moved into a house. We got, I think we got stuff in the Woolworths closing down sale. So it was as cheap as you can get mm-hmm. <laughs> Christmas tree decorations. And we've built up over the years, just a nice little collection of, of, of quality ones that'll be like, keepsakes that I can pass down through generations and things so first of November I'll start looking at what options are offered for that but I will wait until December to put the tree up and things I don't it's think very, you'll wait that very well I don't moved. think you'll wait that long I can see it going <laughs> up mid late November for sure <laughs> you, you never know you never know no. any excuse I'll be getting it out the out the loft <laughs> uh thank you for joining me on this episode charlene um it's been it's been really great hearing about the social value thing and uh detailing you know what crown commercial services are doing around that you know clearly a very important issue right now uh, very good to hear that you're fully into christmas i must admit so am i i'm a big christmas person as well and i think your choices of a bubble bath home alone too although that's a slightly out of left field but i like it and and the boss who, who who's making his second appearance i think uh, I, I just think you've probably got it made on that desert island i think you'll do absolutely fine for as long as you're on there <laughs> do me rightly i think yeah it will <laughs> thanks thank you for joining me charlie um, thanks for having me that's it for this episode of supply cast and uh hopefully you'll join me next week bye mm-hmm.